be seated. Good morning. I want to say hello to Miss Ellie. I know she's watching online. We miss you greatly. Hopefully you can come see us sometime. Please keep uh, Joanne Shabelsky in your prayer, her and Rick. Uh, I know they covet that, and she's, she's doing a little better, so keep her in your prayer. And also, uh, COVID has struck again. Uh, Paul Allen and uh, his wife, Sean, I think this is their second time with COVID, but they're having it pretty tough. Uh, took them a meal yesterday, so uh, keep them in your prayer. A lot of things that's going on, but glad you're here. The word will continue to go forth. We're in the 18th chapter of the book of John. Uh, As I always start getting close to the end of a book, I begin to pray and think about what we're going to do next. And usually I ride, I think I've did a couple of books in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament on Sunday. So be praying. I'm either probably going to go to uh, Joshua. And I also said a quick uh, look at the book of Amos. So we'll probably do one of those when we finish this. But right now, We're in the gospel, the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. And you know, as you're reading through the gospels, if the Holy Spirit gives you that same account in each of the gospels, that should perk our ears up, uh, soften our hearts, because he's trying to get us to understand something when he does that. And we're going to look at Peter's failure and and, uh, his restoration that's recorded four times in this gospel. We'll see how Peter will see his trail and his spiral into finally denying the Lord Jesus Christ and then the grace of God when he comes back and restore him. Psalms 1, I love that Psalms, And this is what it says in a few of the verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. We all like that. And then he gives us that contrast of the ungodly. So first we notice Peter, his self-confidence. In Matthew's gospel, Peter says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, he says, I will never be made to stumble. Even if I have to die with you, Peter says, I will not deny you. And then it says, and so said all of the apostles. Peter, once again, he was genuine in his thoughts. He just didn't realize, as we must understand, our own frailties, our own weaknesses. No doubt about it, he loved Jesus. How many times have we said, Lord, you can count on me, only to find out when the rubber meets the road, he can't count on us. So much. And so we'll find Peter sleeping also instead of praying. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, even though the fourth gospel does not tell us about this, the other three does, 
he goes to the disciples twice and he kind of rebukes them about sleeping when they should be praying. And then that third time he goes to them, he just tells them to sleep on. So he, once again, Peter overestimated his dedication. And then he, remember, he gets up and he reacts in the flesh. Next, we will follow Peter. He, he is trying to follow the Lord at a distance, and he ends up warming himself at the fire of the enemy. And then finally, we see Peter denying the Lord. The rooster crows, and he runs out into the night. The Bible says bitterly weeping. So we watch him as he goes through this process. And once again, it's four times said in these gospels because the Lord is wanting us to take application to our own lives. To have the right mindset when temptations come. And then he wants us to know even though Peter fails, God is gracious. He's right there to restore us to himself once again. So verse 15 of chapter 18, he says, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Numerous times in the book of John, John speaks of himself as the apostle that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved, or that other disciple. It seems to me that John is trying to be anonymous or he doesn't want the fanfare. Remember, he writes his fourth gospel 50 to 60 years after the synoptics gospels are written. So it says in verse 16, but Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. For some reason, John and his family are known to the high priest or the first high priest at this time, Annas, in Jerusalem. We know that John and James, their dad, Zebedee, had a lucrative fishing business. And so it seems to me that when you're wealthy, that you get uh, to know other wealthy people and the, no doubt about it, Annas was wealthy. So John and James has a little connection here. That's why John is able to go in. Eusebius tells us that the reason the house of Annas is familiar with John is that John's mother, which was Salome, the sister of the Mary of our Lord, so they're sisters, and they were also cousins, remember, to Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. So the priestly line was familiar with the Mary, the mother of our Lord. And Salome, once again, they are cousins here. So there's a familiarity there. So John and James, they know the inner workings. And so they allow John to go in. When John goes in, he talks to the doorkeeper and only people of means would have a doorkeeper. So John has enough clout to go in and say, hey, this is my friend. Would you allow him into the courtyard? It says, then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? 
Her question is, when she says this, she says this with bad intentions. I know you're not a disciple of Jesus, are you? That's why he says what he says. You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Jesus had told them, him at the Passover, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was coal, and they warmed themselves. John, as he's writing this by the power of the Holy Spirit, is about 90 years of age, and he still remembers how cold it was that Passover night. Being that cold, they're warming themselves at the fire. Remember what Jesus had did, sweating great drops of blood. It says, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Annas begins to question Jesus, and he will ask him two questions, one in regards to his disciples and the other in regards to his doctrine, to his teachings. He says, the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrines. So right off the bat, Jesus has allowed his disciples to go free as Zechariah speaks of that, and he's not going to say anything about his disciples, but he will speak to them about his doctrine. He says in verse 20, Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. That still happens today. The gospel, the power of the gospel goes forth. He says, I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. He was saying, I wasn't teaching in secret. I'm not trying to hide some esoteric message or or enlightenment. I did this in the open. And that's why he says, why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And Jesus is not trying to be insolent here. What he's saying, because this is a sham trial, all of them will be a sham of a trial. But even at this sham trial, they're not supposed to question Jesus unless he has as it is today, it should be an attorney there, or either his accusers are there. So the man that's ruling Annas over this first trial, he shouldn't be questioning Jesus. So Jesus already knows it's a sham trial, and he says, hey, if you have anything against me, bring the witnesses here. And when he has said these things, one of the officers, a Levitical guard, many of them is standing around, who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. As we know, as it's recorded, this is the first time Jesus will be struck. You know, I love the movie Passion of the Christ. The first time I watched it, I was amazed from the time they arrested him at Gethsemane. They show that he's being beaten all the way up to this trial. And I kind of think that's the way it went down. But in the Bible, what the scripture says is accounts for the first blow right here, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, 
why do you strike me? That's amazing. We, well, let me put that on me. I get offended when someone says anything to me cross at times, and, I, and the Holy Spirit has to check me. This man is being struck, and, and, and that word struck means a vicious blow. We would think to his hand, but it flays the skin open right there. And Jesus, he just takes it. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, the beginning of verse 23, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. We have no sense of Jesus being mean-spirited or anything like that. And I really want you to hear this. So many of us, we want to argue about right and wrong, as if we only have two categories, but we have a third. But we like to put everything into right and wrong, but there's a higher calling besides right and wrong. You have that higher calling in a marriage. Sometimes it's just best to not say anything because peace is important. Whether you know you're right and there's an argument, Jesus, he says, there's a third category. And that third category is to just be offended. When brethren or sisters in the church, it's, it's not always right and wrong. Many of times, Someone may say something to you, cross, or, 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 or you might be offended how someone said, said something or text something. And by the way, I hate texting. I, I, I tell people, don't text me because I'm probably not taking it the way you sent it. So be careful. I like when you pick up the phone and talk to me. Then I can feel the emotions. I can hear the voice, and everything is okay in that. And so I don't like texting that much. But here Jesus is saying there's a third category to just let it go. And that's the way we should be in the body of Christ. Someone may say something and you take it the wrong way and the Lord is saying, just let it go. It's okay. First Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read it all because it's very important. Because Peter, remember, he's watching this go down. He's watching the behavior of Jesus Christ, and, he's, and he writes this. It, it affected him so much, he pins this by the Holy Spirit. He says, for this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. Let that sit on your heart. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this, listen, you were called. When you said, Lord, I'm giving up my life. My life is no longer mine. It belongs to you. This is what he expects us to do. He says, this is the reason why, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. 
who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Wow. But committed himself to him who judges righteously. God knows my heart. Whether they were offended by it or not, whether I took it the way they thought I took it or not, the chief judge, the one that matters the most, he understands. So that's all that should matter. That's what he's saying here. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It reminds the Father when we, when we demonstrate that kind of, of love and forgiveness and overlook a fault. That pleases him, and that's why we are here, to please him. This guy hits Jesus, and he doesn't even say what the great apostle Paul says when he was hit by the high priest. He said, Paul says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Jesus doesn't even say that. Jesus said, if, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Peter was watching this. He was watching Christ's response under pressure. And that's why it meant so much to him. Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore, they said to him, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the... I like how the enemy just continues to apply pressure to Peter. When he should have fled, but we knew the prophecy, he stays there. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter's cut off, Malchus, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Hey, you look familiar. I've got a sword here. Why don't you... Swing it back and forth a couple of times. You look familiar to me. (laughs) Pressure was on him. Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. We're told in Mark that at this time, Peter pronounces an anathema. Upon himself, he curses. And this is what he says, if I know him, let me be eternally damned. Remember, Jesus had prayed in his high priestly prayer, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, Peter, as you have loved me. I don't know about you, but there's some days I need to bask in that verse. Lord, I blew it. And you love me? As much as you love your dear son, that's what he says here. In the Talmud and in some of the Jerusalem ordinances, they said chickens, because they were unclean animals, they would not let them in the city of Jerusalem. So I love Mission Impossible, Ethan Hunt. He amazes me. This rooster reminds me of Ethan Hunt. Because he has to battle everything not belonging in the city, gets in the city, goes in the courtyard, and time Peter blows it, he crows. 
He had to do all of that to make that prophecy come true. But Jesus knew it would happen. Linsky, who is a a great German uh, grammarist, says this, that this story of Peter was pretty much well known to everyone. And after Jesus' resurrection and, and his ascension and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, they said Peter could be walking down the streets of Jerusalem and one of the religious leaders was would crow, making fun of Peter. The enemy will never let you forget. But God has forgotten our sins and he's forgiven us. Peter is watching all of this. It tells us in verse 28, then they led Jesus. Remember, he was at Annas. Now he goes to the Romans appointed high priest Caiaphas. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and that's the judgment hall. And it was early morning. Some scholars say that they woke Caiaphas up three to six in the morning. Others say that they would rise early and get their work over with because around 11 or noon, they had the rest of the day to drink and party and do everything else. So that's what's happening here. But they themselves, speaking of the Jews, did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. So we have an interesting circumstances that's going on here. Remember, Rome had removed the right for the Jews to execute the death penalty. Somewhere around AD 2 to AD 6, they had said, when, we, when the Romans come in, you guys have no longer the right to execute the death penalty because we are ruling you. No more capital punishment. Peter as they're watching this, as they bring him to Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest, and he's sort of just like a king. The only people that's higher than a prefect, because when we get to look at a pilot, will be a senator here. So all of this is going on. And so when the high priest when they lose that right to execute the death penalty, it says the high priest in Jerusalem and some of his religious leaders, they went through the city throwing dust up in the air on their heads saying the word of God had been broken because Messiah had not come. That was the prophecy of Genesis 49.10 when Jacob is in, on his deathbed and he gives out these prophecies and he says this, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, the rulership, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, Messiah comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. What they didn't realize that Jesus was already there working probably in a carpenter shop, answering questions, and they thought the word of God had been broken, but it was not. We have to understand also that if the Jews could have executed the death penalty, it would have been by stoning because that's how they put people to death. And so it was prophesied in Isaiah 53. It was prophesied in Zechariah 12.10. It was prophesied in many other scriptures. 
Psalms 22, that Jesus' death would be on a Roman cross. So we watch God's providence. His hand is working in all of this. So he knows what's going on. Pilate will understand this also. So they come to Pilate at this time. And once again, it's early in the morning. Caiaphas and the boys are going to Pilate. Remember, at this time, he's the prefect. Pilate normally lived in Caesarea Marentima by the sea. But now at all of the major feasts, especially the Passover, because there was so much opportunity for insurrections and all of those things, that Pilate would come with many of his troops at the Antonio Fortress and put down any kind of riots that would happen. We don't know much about Pilate. I'm a historian, so I'm going to give you a little detail about that. They said Pilate was from a clan called the Pontai clan. It was an equestrian clan. They love horses. So that would put Pilate somewhere in the middle class. But he becomes a tribune in the Roman legion. So he was over 6,000 men. And Pilate, they said, was a strict leader. He was a merciless leader. He did everything by the book. And he was a cruel leader. You would not cross Pilate. But Pilate had a friend who was a prefect first, and his name was Lucius Sejanus. He becomes prefect in Rome also over the Praetorian Guard in the house of the Caesar at this time, Tiberius Caesar. Prefect, once again, it was an appointed position. You couldn't apply for this position. So he's a man of great authority, this man, Lucius Sejanus. Tiberius was famous. Tiberius Caesar was famous for taking, I love vacations, by the way, but the longest vacation I think I've ever took was about eight days, nine days, and that was too long. Well, this guy, Tiberius, uh, Sejanus, he would leave the government over, Tiberius, my fault, Tiberius would leave the government over to Sejanus, and he would go to the Isles of Capri and stay there for years at a time. So Sejanus would be the de facto king here. But what happened when Tiberius was off one of these excursions, he hears back from Rome that Sejanus is trying to take over the government. Sejanus poisons one of Tiberius's sons. So when Tiberius gets back and they find all of this out, they put Sejanus to death. The only friend, remember this, that Caiaphas has But before this goes down, Sejanus calls Caiaphas, brings Caiaphas to his place of business and says, hey, would you like to be prefect? Would you like to be procurator over Judea and Galilee? Pilate hates Judea. But because of that position, he says, yeah, I'll do this. Thank you. When you would become a prefect, they would give you a ring, and it would say Amicus Caesarius. And what that meant was you are a friend of Caesar. They just didn't give these rings away. Uh, You had to be in the in crowd. You had to be a prefect. So they gave him this ring. He goes back to Judea, 
and Galilee, and he begins to rule there. Once again, this was a harsh man, Pilate. He begins, when he goes there, when he becomes a prefect, he makes a lot of boneheaded decisions. The first time Pilate gets there and goes to the Antonio Fortress, he hangs all of these ensigns, these banners, all over the Antonio Fortress. And the Jews says, no, you've got to take these things down. These are engraven images, and we're not going for this. And so he takes them down. And then Pilate, he says, you know, all of the blood from you guys' sacrifices, we need to build this aqueduct. Remember, I told you about this. But the Jews didn't want to give him any money. So this is what Pilate said. I want you guys to dress up as Jews and go to the temple precinct and start a riot. And that's what they did. And many people were stabbed. And while the riot was going on, some of his men broke into their vaults and stole money so they could build this 30-mile aqueduct. This is Pilate. This is how he rules. One more thing. He brings in his Roman shields and hangs them back into the Antonio Fortress. And he leaves because, remember, he leaves all the time. He leaves and he goes to Maritima. A week later, Josephus tells us 7,000 Jewish men goes and surrounds his house. His guards tell them, hey, the Jews are out here. They've surrounded your house. Pilate says, go out there and kill them. Kill every one of them. When the Jews hear this, they all fall down and bare their necks and say, kill us. And so once again, he had to relent. My point about Pilate, Pilate doesn't want Jesus Christ crucified. He would rather have Caiaphas crucified. And so that's the angst, that's the pressure that's going on. And he tells us here in verse 28, the latter part of that, because they go to Pilate, and now they've awakened him maybe, and they won't even come into the judgment hall. Pilate has to go outside, and there's two judgment halls. There's one on the inside of the praetorium. That's where Pilate would sit, and then there's one on the outside, and this is an ivory uh, judgment seat, and there they said the stairs were marble, And it was a big pavement made of marble. So he goes out there because they won't come in. That's the setup. And he says, lest they should be defiled. They're trying to kill the Messiah, and they're worried about eating the Passover dinner. But that that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them, to the outside judgment seat, and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you very sarcastically. They didn't care. They didn't respect Pilate. Then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now Pilate knows exactly the issue, the case that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying by what death he would die, by crucifixion. 
Then Pilate entered the praetorium again. He goes back. He was outside. He goes back into the judgment hall, takes his seat on the inside, and he calls for Jesus. It says he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? In all four gospels, that's the first question Pilate asked of him. And Pilate knew because he had spies all throughout Judea, all throughout Galilee. He knew who Jesus was. He viewed Jesus as just an itinerant preacher, a rabbi that was no threat to him or to Rome. So this is the first time they stand face to face. And it's better to stand face to face with God here and come to know him as your Lord and Savior than stand face to face with him in eternity and not know him. Jesus stands in front of him, and by this time he's beaten, he's bloodied, parts of his beard has been plucked out. By this time they have blindfolded him. I think it's Mark's gospel that tells us, puts a bag over his head, and they begin to strike him. Prophesy, who hit you? king of the Jews. And if you know anything about boxing or or anything else, it's better to see a blow coming so you can flinch, you can try to roll with that punch, than to not know where it's coming and to be surprised by it. And by this time, he's a mess. And Pilate looks at his face and says, are you the king of the Jews? In spite of his physical abuse here, There must have been some dignity, some royalty, some majesty that Pilate could see. Remember, Pilate had been around the Caesars, the pageantry, and all of those things. So he knew what royalty looked like. And then there was still something special. Even in his blooded and battered and bruised condition, there's something special about this man, Jesus Christ. He tells him in verse 34, Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate, is there something going on in your heart? Jeremiah tells us when you seek me with your whole heart, then you will be found by me. Pilate, has the father spoken to you about this or are you just saying what others say when they talk about me? That's what he's saying there. And we'll see the change of of the way Jesus uh, speaks to him after this. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? This is no big, this doesn't matter to me, Jesus. Pilate, by this time, he's irritated of everything that's going on. And then he says, your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. That's the first thing you have to understand. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. He affirms it. For this cause, I was born. And for this cause, I have come into the world. What do you mean you came into the world? That insinuates 
pre-existence. Even Pilate understands that. You came from where? Jesus said, for this cause I was born, and from this cause I have come into the world. That meant he existed before he came into the world. You know, at Christmas we say for us, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Isaiah 9, 6. That's the same idea what Isaiah says. On the human side, a child is born, the babe of Bethlehem. From eternity's side, a son is given. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He goes on to say, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. If you don't want truth, if you have no concern for truth, you won't hear his voice. It's only when you're seeking, and he has to give you the grace to do that, will your eyes be open to the truth. And believe me, in this culture, in this day and age, we need the truth because they're giving us a lot of stuff that's not true. Just about everything they say is not truth. How do we get truth? It's through the word of God. No matter what the media says, we talked about this yesterday morning, no matter what the propaganda that comes out, none of those things. We have to orientate our, our truth to the word of God because that's where truth lies. Anything else, you're going down the wrong road. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate, by this time being so jaded and so cynical, Truth is whatever you want it to be. That's what he says. Me, in the biology, I'm a man, and you tell me I can be a woman. When I was an eight-year-old little boy, I would have said, that's foolishness. Now I'm a grown man, and they're trying to propagate that on us. And people will go for it. Good is being called evil, evil, good, just like the scripture has told us it would be. When you go off to college and university, they're they're indoctrinating us with all kind of junk. We better when we go off to college. That can be good and well. But I tell you, you better keep this in your hand. You better understand where truth is coming from. That's what he's saying here. That's what Jesus is wanting us to understand here. The world will tell you anything is truth. However you feel, that's your truth. Whatever relative to you is true. Jesus said, no, 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 no. There is a truth. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews. In the judgment hall, he goes back out because they're not going in and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. What a missed opportunity for Pilate. He could have asked Jesus about his kingdom. He could have asked them, who are your subjects? Since you said you are a king, who are you? What a missed opportunity to be face to face with God Almighty. Could ask him many things because I believe The Lord is drawing Pilate. That's why he says, did you 
Are you saying this on your own accord? Or did somebody tell you these things? He wants them to be saved. I would have went outside. Pilate should have went outside and said, I don't know who you have here, but he's different. I know that. There's something about this man. Maybe you guys should slow your roll a little bit. You're, 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 you're moving too fast. He's, he's, he, he's a different dude. But they don't do that because the inner workings of a pilot's heart, he's battling all of these things. But we're going to find out he won't yield to it. He goes out. And he seems to stir up the Jews a little. He says, I find no fault in him at all. That's my ruling. That's my decision. And then he says, but you have a custom. He's trying to help him out a little here. That I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now, we know at this point that Pilate, trying to get off the hook, he sends Jesus to Herod at this time, because the Bible tells us Herod has been wanting to see him. Hey, I want him to perform a miracle for me, do anything. So Pilate, when he, when he hears him say, Jesus is a troublemaker in Judea and Galilee, this is my opportunity. Let me send him to Herod. He goes there, and we know the account. Jesus doesn't say a word to him. They mock him. They make fun at him, of him. And then they send him back to Pilate. Dr. Luke tells us, after this, Herod and Pilate, they became friends. So they bring Jesus back to Pilate, and Pilate is still trying to figure out what he's going to do with him. And only in the Bible, because there's no uh, Babylonian history of this, there's no Greek history or Roman history of what they're going to do here. Matter of fact, the church fathers tell us on the Passover to commemorate the Jews being released from Egypt. The Romans were inclined to release one prisoner to them as a token of the freedom they had experienced in time past on the Passover. Once again, we have no evidence of this, but this is why uh, Pilate asked them this question. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews, then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. And then the commentary, now Barabbas was a robber. He was a terrorist, a better word. He was an infamous, infamous prisoner. The Syrac Targum tells us this. His name is Jesus Barabbas. And so the picture is here. Bar means son of Peter, Bar Jonah, son of Simon, Bar son of, and Abba means the father. And so the picture is you have Jesus Christ, who is the son of the father. And then you have Jesus Barabbas, Jesus, son of another father, different fathers. And Pilate is saying, take your pick. Which one do you want me to release? And I'm sure at this time, Pilate is saying, definitely they're going to ask for Jesus, the son of the father, to be released. And, and what's so ironic about what John is doing, there's an there's a undercurrent scene that's going on. 
the enemy Satan is working to get Jesus on the cross to kill him. And even behind him, almighty God is working to get his son on the cross for us so that we can live. All of this is working, but God's providence will always rule out, no matter what Satan tries to do. Chapter 19, verse 1 tells us, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. By this time, back and forth, like pillar to post, six trials all night long, in, in the morning, taking him at beating him, everything. That's what's happening here. Exodus Chapter 12, verse 5, remember that Passover lamb before it was sacrificed, what would they have to do? They would have to examine it, make sure there was no spot or blemish, no markings on that lamb. And that's what they're doing to Jesus here. Pilate tells them, he will say this at least four times, I find no fault in him. He's beaten, he's mocked, he's questioned, he's examined in every angle. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe mocking him. Then they said, hail, king of the Jews. We have heard and we understand the gruesome going-ons of being scourged. Josephus said he has someone scourged to his entrails, to his skeleton. Eusebius said he's seen people that would be scourged so much their bowels would be about to fall out. Only the grace of God kept Jesus from dying. And it says, and they struck him with their hands. Isaiah 52 tells us his visage was more marred than any man, saying that when you looked at his face, you couldn't even recognize him as a human being by his face. All of this being done because he loves us, because he loves his children. Pilate then went out again and said to them, behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, remember, he's out. He's on those marble steps and on that marble pavement, and imagine the blood that is all on this pavement. And Pilate says, ecchi homo, behold the man. The soldiers couldn't believe it. We laid the whip on him. We beat him and we beat him. And we didn't hear a word come from his mouth. As a lamb being led to his shears, so he did not open his mouth. Everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament about our Savior, our Lord, our hero, is being played out exactly to the T. That's the same way it is being played out today. He's coming. Hold on. He's coming for his children. He says, therefore, 
When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, because Pilate is hoping that they will say, this is enough. Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself, he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, telling me, telling us that he was already afraid. Remember that Pilate's wife had come to him and she said, I've been having many dreams and visions about this just man. Don't do anything to him. He has all of this stirring going on. It tells us in verse 9, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium where Jesus was and said to Jesus, where are you from? They're saying you're the son of God. But Jesus gave him no answer. Remember the first time he asked him, where are you from? Jesus said, hey, did this come from you? Or are you just saying what others say? But now that he knows he's just saying what others says, when he asked him again, where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. That's the way it works. I don't know if you get one opportunity. I don't know if you get 10 opportunities when the Holy Spirit is drawing you. But my Bible tells me there comes a point. There's no more drawing. That's why the Bible tells us today when you hear his voice, you give your life to him. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? How dare you? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? It's all about me. Pilate is worried about this transaction going down. He he doesn't want to be held for the blame that this is going to happen. Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. I think of these politicians today. It doesn't have to be today. It could have been all the way back from the beginning, but especially today. They get this power, Democrats and Republicans. So you can say, Pastor Victor said both. You get all this power and then you use it for yourself to, to make yourself rich and all these other things. You don't care anything about the people. I think about that a lot because I'm reminded in chapter 14 and in chapter 17 of the book of Revelation, Jesus says he has this cup of wrath for all of the injustices and everything that's happening in the world that he had to drink. And my point is, Nobody gets away. So when you're in a position of leadership and power, you need to understand that. Pilate is here. From then on, it says, therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. You don't have to worry about Pilate. But it says in verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. He's seeking, he's thinking of every way. How can I get this man off the hook. I'm really trying. I want to get him off the hook. So it would seem. So it would seem. But you know what? The Jews have been studying Pilate. They understand what his makeup is, and they they understand what he loves. 
and what his passion is. And they pulled that last card out. They've tried many things. They were hoping they didn't have to do this. But in the end, they pulled this last card out and we will see him crumble. It says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not what? You are not a friend of Caesar's. What about that ring he wore that he showed everybody, that he took pride in? I'm a friend of Caesar. He's my man. I'm tight. And when they said that, that's when the cookie begins to crumble. He gives up. He thought he was looking for a loophole. That's the way it is in life. They knew what Pilate boasted in and where his loyalty lied. And it's at this point, the man crumbles. This is his career. If I let this man go, there's going to be, if I don't let him go, there's going to be a riot. If I let him go, there's going to be a riot and they're already on me. My friend Sejunus is killed. I have no one to go to bat for me. And I give in. The one thing that he thought would never be touched. Listen, this is for all of us. God will touch it. God will say, that thing right there, you say you love me? I'm going to touch that. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. That's what Peter said. This one thing, Pilate is trying his best, he thought, to get him off the hook. But the Jews knew you're not going to be a friend of Caesar. And you boast and you brag and that the worship team can come up and the Lord touches it. That's the way he works in all of our lives. I'll say two things first for unbelievers. I would give my life to the Lord if, if this and if that. And Jesus says, will you? And then he touches you and say, this is what you've got to do to follow me. There's a choice is made. Will you give it up or will you not? Then for believers, when we're wanting to be sanctified, I need you to let this go or let that go. Will you do that for me? Will you do that for me? You don't know all the glory that's waiting for you if you do that for me. Pilate failed the test. And that's sad. But for every believer who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, you will never look back and say, hey, I wish I did not do it. The Lord loves you. The Lord loved Pilate. And we see man making all of these excuses why I won't give my life to the Lord while the clock is ticking. We will go through many things in this life. We will be sifted at times, but we have to remember the end game. And the end game is hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Once again, Remember, there's higher things more than right and wrong. There's taking in what you think might be a wrong. 
and saying, Lord, I'm going to let you handle it. I'm going to still show your joy and your peace and your goodness and your love. But I'm going to let you fight my battles because in the end, it doesn't matter what people say. It matters what you know about me. Let's pray. Father, the heart is deceitfully wicked among all else. Who can know it? Because Pilate really thought for a minute he was doing everything he could to set Jesus free. But in the end, you touch something way before the foundations of the world. You said, I'm going to touch something. And if you still set me free, I'm, I know you care. But he said, no, this is too much. I'd rather have the friendship of the world, the accolades of the world, the promoting of the world than give my life to Jesus Christ. And that's what it boils down to. Jesus said, we must deny all, pick up our cross and follow him. Remind us of that, Lord, daily. Remind us that we live in a world that is passing away. All of the glitter and the glam of this life, it's not going to last forever. Give us hearts to continuously seek after you and grow closer to you. Father, we love you. Lord, we continue to lift up those that are sick. Father, we ask you to move mightily here at Calvary Restore. Keep us one in unity as you and the Godhead is one, that we may bring glory to your name. And I ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.